What's up, guys? Four Corners, back with another episode. I am your host, Ray. You can find me online at Rayvon Hackshaw. We've got a two-man game for you today. I'm joined by my co-host, Peter, Bucketsense88. What's going on? What's up, Ray? Um, you know, it's a, it's a bittersweet time for me right now because usually... It's spring? March and that's is when my, it gets my favorite. March is my favorite month of the year. You know, it's March Madness, Selection Sunday. Happy Selection Sunday to everybody out there. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, my my favorite basketball team will not be dancing this year. But uh, you know, so I'm happy about that. It's March, but you know, this is a a Nuggets podcast, and the Nuggets that's are okay. not really who, dancing right now either. They're who, sort of pounding. Who's your favorite team? I don't. Maybe I want to talk about something else. Who, 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 who's your team? That's that's not getting into the dance. Uh, CU men's basketball. They finished the ah, game over 500. So, ah, ah, you know, well, we got a good recruiting class coming in, but <laughs> that's good. That's good. I'm excited for that. that that'll that be nice for them. Uh, I, I'm kind of something I'm excited about right now is that it's kind of spring. You know, there are some signs, there's some, some little tidbits of information that I've been receiving that uh, winter might be on its way out. You know, I do a lot of walks, as, as people know. I am someone who is one with dogs, and uh, prairie dogs actually are out and about and coming out of their holes and uh, yelling at me that I'm imposing on their space. So I think that's a good sign. And um, just generally hasn't snowed, uh, knock on wood, uh, in the last week or two. So I'm hoping that that, that kind of continues as a trend. Obviously, we're going to get some snow. But I'm I'm happy. It's brightening my day. We just had daylight savings time end, if that's how that works. So we lost an hour. But you know, it's five thirty. Uh, the sun's still shining. Do you, do you feed the that. prairie dogs? I do not feed the prairie dogs. I feel like the prairie dogs. Um, you know, I think they appreciate that I don't let my dogs eat them. So, I, I, if you we, were we to feed the that. prairie dogs, would you be better at feeding the prairie dogs than the Nuggets are at feeding Jokic? Oh, probably. Okay. <laughs> Only in the sense that I would probably just leave um, treats by their holes and they'd probably get them eventually. But <sighs> spring aside, um, something that is not on the rise like the temperatures is the uh, Nuggets win percentage. Kind of a, kind of a rough week <laughs> in Nuggets Nation. We, we did scrape a win uh, out of Toronto, you know, that was nice, but Chicago, San Antonio, uh, just now Brooklyn, unfortunately three losses in a row. And uh, I've got a lot of notes. I've got a lot of thoughts, some things that are, you know, pretty deep through lines throughout the week. But I also think there are some reasons for optimism that you can find in there as well. So you ready to get into it? Absolutely. Let's do it. Cool. So let's uh, start off with the Toronto game. Uh, Monday, March 6th, I feel like I didn't think too much of it at the time when I just started watching this game, but kind of a lack of effort and focus from the team at large. You know, I really felt like Nicola was, how would I put this, fulfilling his duties, if, if that makes sense. He, he was there, you know, he was doing his job for the most part, but I think about what was expected of him. Um, and, and just to kind of start this off, how much do you feel like he sees and is thinking about some of the discourse around him when he's going into these games, you know, whether it's like the MVP conversation 
or just the nuggets in their path to the playoffs and how that differs from regular season? Yeah, um, that's, that's a fair question. You know, I think that if you were to ask him and he were to answer honestly, I wish that I think he wishes that he could just press a button that would just be like, leave me alone. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not here to gas myself up, pump myself up, say anything good or bad about myself. I'm just here trying to play basketball, win games, help my team win. And so everything that gets said about him and then he gets asked about it, he's like, why do we have to talk about this? You know, I still think there's a part of him that just like doesn't understand why the American media cares so much about this sensational foreign basketball player and how he acts and how he interacts and, you know, the beats and rhythms to his drum that he and his music that he plays to, you know, because it's different than what we've seen before. And some people love it. Some people hate it. And some people, quite frankly, don't understand it which is probably the most maddening to us Nuggets fans is, is when they misdiagnose what they see. So I think he's probably just tired of it, but I think if we're being honest, like he does a pretty good job of blocking out the noise a lot better than, than some athletes do. Right. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, he's never really on social media for the most part. I feel like he's mostly focused on himself and his family and his friends and the people he's in community with. So I think that's a great point. Um, and I think also that, you know, coming from Serbia to here, I think it's a little bit, um, it, 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 it's hard for him to just pick up on our, as, as America, as, as, you know, United, as the people in the United States, the way that we think about and talk about dynamics around like race and culture and, and background and all those sorts of things. So I think that's, you know. Just, I don't want to say tough for him to understand because I think you know, on some level people are people and we're all human and, and that sort of thing, but it, it's hard to, and certainly it's hard to pick up an entire hundred years long conversation over the course of a few months when, you know, you're really just here to play basketball and do that sort of thing. So I think that that's his well, job. And, and Ray, I think, you know what I think another part of it is, I think, mm -hmm he's pretty emotionally mature in that he's not going to get rattled by what some, somebody in the media says about him or even other players that kind of neg him. You know, he doesn't go out there to like prove somebody that says he's not that good. Like, Oh, watch this. He's just going to go out there and play his game. And I think that one thing that the NBA at large has kind of struggled with for, I don't really even know what kind of time frame to put on it. They've struggled this with a long time is they try to force rivalries. Do you feel like that? Because I feel like they're trying to force this Jokic versus Embiid rivalry when like all those two guys have ever really said about each other is respectful things. And so, I mean, the latest quote unquote NBA rivalry has sort of been uh, Dylan Brooks going back and forth with Draymond Green, you know? And of course, Draymond comes out and says, well, we're not rivals because Memphis has never won anything. How can we be rivals? And it's like, that's true. But as fans, you know, whether you like or don't like Dylan Brooks or Draymond Green, you at least kind of like the fact that this is different than what we've been used to in the NBA, right? There's been too much buddy-buddy. At least these guys actually don't like each other. Just that perspective, I like that of the game. I agree. I mean, I love a good, I love a good rivalry. I love competition as long as it remains in a healthy context, you know, within the scope of the game, you know, right. uh, whether it's NBA, NFL, whatever it might be. I think that is, 
yeah, it's interesting. It's engaging. And I think media sees that uh, to get to your earlier point. I think media sees that recognizes the value in that. I think from an economic perspective that it draws the clicks, it draws the views. It, uh, nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative. You know, it gets the people going and that, right. you know, all that is really valuable for them. It's, and for anyone who wants to be a prominent figure in media, especially on the national level, I think how much people hate you is is honestly the fastest path that you can take. Uh, shout out to Skip Bayless to success and finding relevance and getting, you know, that next contract, uh, not for players, I mean, for media members. I think that that's one of the big draws for them. So yeah, Ray, I think um, I got to give a shout out to, uh, to Ryan Rosillo on this. He's definitely not listening to our podcast, but a couple months ago, he said he warned, he did a little rant about, it. he's like, Nuggets fans, get ready. Everybody's going to start piling on your team. And he's like, this is a good thing. So I yeah. actually thought about that quote this week and it made me feel a little better because it's like, yeah, everything is getting picked apart. Right. And mm -hmm. we, we do it enough our own. Isn't that kind of funny how human psychology works? It's like you're allowed to be mad at your own family in a way. And I know like sports fans, diehards, we get we get to way into this. Like obviously you and I don't have a relationship with anybody like inside the Nuggets organization, but we view it as like our family. And so we're like criticizing and. And, you know, but it's like out of love. We want these guys to get better and do well. But then when we hear people that haven't really been watching the team come in and say stuff, we're like, get off my lawn. Yeah, I, I think it's it's like how valid are these criticisms and where are they coming from and how like well thought out is it, I, I think, is a yeah. big difference in that. And anytime, you know, I you can look at other fan bases in the way that anytime a team becomes popular, um, you know, it becomes more relevant and you start to gain that, that following your, your fan base grows and you get also, I think internally within the community, you know, the more people there are, the more conflicts and the wider the variety of people is when you're only winning seven games, 12 games, 30 games, 35 games, how many people really care? And of those people that do care, they're probably going to be pretty passionate, pretty invested, pretty engaged, in-depth in the team. When you get the casuals, that's cool because you're recognizing that you're rising to prominence in a way that's amazing and, and awesome. But I think it also comes with a lot of, for lack of a better term, toxicity, uh, just in how the team gets talked about and discussed and, and all that sort of thing. So. Um, so wait, Ray, I have a, something to add on there. I was mm -hmm. looking up some stats earlier and I saw some stats that really surprised me. They didn't shock me, but I was a little disappointed. So the Nuggets are ninth in the league in home attendance, um, which is not, which is good. I mean, pretty much everybody ahead of them is a big market team. Uh, so that's good. And obviously some of this has to do with like how big your arena is. But what was more interesting that I wanted to look up was road attendance, right? How many times are fans in other cities going to watch your team play? And I figured, well, the Nuggets have a two-time MVP. They got MPJ and uh, Jamal and Gordon, who dunks a lot. I'm sure people want to watch this team play, right? G mm. Guess where you think the Nuggets rank in uh, road attendance? I'm going to say, like, 15th something like that. Like I was watching, um, just, just watching the Spurs game. That wasn't a full game. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's, there's limits to like the amount of attention that, yeah. And it's like a personality thing. It, it does Denver have 
a bright and shiny personality that everyone's loving and talking about and who is big and boisterous in the way that some guys are. I don't know if they have that. So, but I'm, I'm curious what, what the actual number is. They were 28th. Oh, I was too generous. I was too generous. I okay. would love 15th, but yeah, apparently the nuggets just are not resonating right now. I think a large part of that is, you know, one West coast team two, mm-hmm. you know, by NBA standards, small market team and three, our superstar just doesn't do commercials or, you know, media that doesn't have to. So I, I guess that's that just kind of proves that when you're talking about actually going to an NBA game, it's still mostly casuals, right? It's still mostly people that want to go watch LeBron. They want to go watch KD. And then what I'm guessing is on the nights that the top like six, seven players in the league aren't in town, it's either a weekend game or they're going to like a spec, you know, it's cheaper because they're playing a bad team. The Nuggets are kind of in that right. weird territory. It was like, it's not going to be a discounted game because they're not a bad team, but a lot of people just don't care about Jokic. And and he doesn't do the cool. If you're not super into basketball and looking to pick apart a game and look through film and be like, Oh, he does these amazing little detail oriented things. He's not you know, he's not dunking on people in that way. He's not, uh, you know, Kobe in the way that he is like a dead eye, just in your face shooter, uh, just going at somebody repeatedly and, and doing the things that I think the NBA loves to see on highlights. You know, that's that's one of the things I wonder is like, how often is he on those highlight reels uh, for games and, and just the little things that he does? Because he is a really good at, you know, the eight foot floater. And I don't think right. that's, you know, it's not the flashy thing. So, well, and another thing that I really noticed going to a game in person was that opposing fans really don't like Jokic. I mean, I'm sure that there's a level of respect for his game, but mm-hmm. you remember once you're in person how physical basketball still is. And Jokic is bullying people nonstop, right? It's hard yeah. to see it on the TV, but like those back down plays, he's putting 260 or whatever pounds he is just bodying guys. You know, and that's tough. And when he just backs you down eight feet and makes a little flip shot, you know, it's kind of demoralizing. So, and people don't want to respect that. Right. You know, while there's a reason Jokic has all these scars on his arms, you know, it's that you have, what do you, what can you do when you get put in that position? Your, your people are flailing, they're trying to do something. And, and for, you know, I think in the same way that people look at Giannis in the way that he, dominates the game physically that you know they had that back and forth to him and james harden we're like oh you're not actually good at basketball you just do these certain things and then that's just like it's just not the same as what other superstars do well i think yoke is just kind of a similar thing where he's not doing things that are super ridiculous he's not steph you know shooting 40 foot threes things like yeah. that um it's just a really polished really effective sort of thing and that's not necessarily the draw for people. So, I mean, guarding Giannis has to be the most frustrating thing ever, right? There's like yeah, yes. minimum five times a game, if not more, way more than that, where guys are in perfect position and he just goes right through you, right? Or he does these long steps. Yeah, through you and over you and just like finishes sometimes in one, but oftentimes just contact and he's just like taller, longer and stronger and the ball mm-hmm. gets in there. It's like. It's like a running back winning the battle at the goal line every time. It's like, what do you do? Yeah, like he's the Jerome Bettis. That's that's that's. Yeah. I, I I don't like the Steelers. I don't like that's the kind Steelers of to be honest, but, but I like it. 
he's like the Jerome Bettis of, of basketball players in that way that he's just like, what are you going to do? He's getting these four yards and you're not stopping him. That was a great um, not to say though. that the bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to kind of get back to this, the Spurs game, I, I felt like, so I'm curious what you think of this. I feel like AG is in, while he's still playing well, I still like how he's playing. I feel like he's in third gear. You know what wait, I mean? Wait. He's still picking his spots. You're skipping What's all up? the way to the Spurs game or you mean the Raptors game? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Wrong name. Uh, I mean the Raptors game, the one from Monday. Sorry. Um, But to kind of get back to that, I feel like he is still playing well. Uh, I'm really happy with Aaron Gordon and how he's approaching the game because while he is coasting to some extent, and I think that's understandable, he's still playing within the flow of the game. I feel like he's still making great decisions and the ways he is choosing to attack are still super effective. And I think that, uh, I don't know, I feel like I'm still really happy with him and just how he's like dominating within the context of his role. Yeah. I think AG has found a healthy level. You know, he's, um, he's got good chemistry with Jokic. He knows his role in the team and he's hundred percent bought in. So I don't feel like we have to worry about him. I do feel like he's been, I don't want to use a word as strong as invisible, but I definitely feel like he's taken a step back in terms of being noticeable Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most of that is due to like the team wants Jamal and MPJ to get going, right? Which is a good thing. And we've seen that from Mike. Uh, we haven't really seen that from Jamal. Um, I'm just really hopeful that AG can still turn it up a notch um, once we get to the playoffs, because I don't know how much of them, this is him conserving energy and how much is like that shoulders really bothered him because, you know, I'm kind of worried about, you know, if that shoulder is going to linger, then maybe he won't be as aggressive as he needs to be. But we just have to hope that he can, you know, I'm fine with him coasting the rest of the year as long as he can turn it up a notch, you know, once we get to the playoffs. Right. And I think that's the key thing. And what I saw in this game is that like he was mostly coasting, but when it mattered, he was able to still put in the effort that he needed to. And I think on a broader level, the Nuggets were able to put in the effort that they needed to to get them the win in this one, thankfully. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, down most of the game. But I think, and I will admit, uh, and this is just kind of the beginning of the frustrations that have been this week of basketball, I don't feel like they played their best game uh, by any stretch. And I feel like Toronto, I think, a lot more motivated, a lot hungrier, uh, just out of the side of the top eight seeds for them right now. So uh, I think they came with a level of uh, aggression that I think gave Denver a lot of problems. Um, but thankfully, Denver is so much more talented um, than than Toronto, more well, or less. The Raptors always play us tough, right? I mean, they got so much length and athleticism. The thing that that looks out that we luck out against the Raptors is they don't really have a whole lot of guys that can shoot, right? Outside of Van Vliet, who had a good game, I kind of felt like you know he's been having a down he year. He had a great game. Yeah, he, he's been having a down year, and him having a good shooting night is what kept him in it, honestly. So. The Raptors have been a big disappointment this year across the NBA. But, uh, you know, if they added more shooting, then they'd be a more legit team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, for Denver, I just felt like there's a lot less, like, certain, a lot uh, slower decisions. And, you know, I think a number of the role players were fine. I thought Jeff Green was fine. I thought Thomas Bryant, Reggie Jackson – you know, relative to what you expect from those guys, KCP, um, still good. 
I, I think they were okay for the most part outside of, I think, and this is kind of going to be a through line for the week. I think Bruce Brown is having some difficulties. I, I think not just with his confidence, but well, yes, with his confidence, but more over with where he, where and how he's getting his shots in the offense. Uh, I think since the all-star break and just the way the team is formed right now, he's not getting the easy looks. And I don't want to say he needs easy looks, but he he's this player who has so much utility, right? He's a great defender. He, uh, for his size, a pretty good rebounder, a good shooter on catch and shoots. And, and when you give him the opportunity to make clean cuts off ball and run out after after you know stops and that sort of thing he can do really well for you but i think he's been challenged this week to create a lot more for himself and for others uh, for various reasons and i think he's struggling with that where his most comfortable go-to in that context is his floater and it's hard it is really hard to live as an nba player unless you're one of the greats at this particular shot on floaters. And, and I think that's kind of, for me, uh, where his struggles with confidence are coming from. Yeah, I think um, he's definitely in a slump right now. The whole team's kind of in a slump. You know, that's what's so interesting about basketball, right? It's like you can talk about individual players playing well or not mm -hmm. playing well. And sometimes it's like the whole team is just kind of in a funk or, or yeah. not feeling it or whatever. I, I can't completely put my finger on it. You know, I, I do think that sometimes coaches around the league you know these guys are are maniacs workaholics right they get that whole all-star all-star week off and i think they get really get the chance to kind of study some teams that they're about to play and so i haven't seen anything specific that teams are doing differently until uh you know this next game that we'll talk about later but but bruce is definitely a guy who's like he's good at the things he's good at but then if you take away option a he's not a great improviser right so early in the season he was playing well off Jokic because he's so good at cutting and, you know, getting out in transition. But he was finishing a lot better early in the year, I feel like. So I haven't noticed him like – I don't think he has tired legs or anything. I think he's just – I think guys have maybe like seen what he's been – how he's being used a little more and mm -hmm. seeing like, hey, we just got to make sure we get back. Don't let this guy get free, you know. Runs at the basket. One on zero. Yeah. You know, contest everything and don't foul. And there's – you know, there's been some questionable calls, but it, it seems like for the most part, if if guys are just going straight up, the NBA is not really calling that. So if you run into a guy and he's straight up, you know, verticality, Bruce is mm -hmm. only 6'4". You know, early in the season, there were a lot of times where he was making a lot of tough finishes, and I wasn't really ready for it. I was like, wow, this guy's pretty good at finishing. So, you know, sometimes law averages, maybe that just, uh, you know, isn't, isn't really working out for him. And then the three-point shooting is also falling off a little bit. So, you know, he's slumping, but... Uh, he's he's still being aggressive. I don't think he's lost confidence completely, maybe a tiny bit. But uh, Mike Malone still trusts him. He's still playing hard. Uh, I'm I'm confident that he can he can play well again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of want to jump to the Bulls game because a lot of my notes from this week are more through lines throughout the week. That you know I see similar things throughout the games. Okay. Uh, I feel like in this one, after that last game, Denver you know, bounces back a little bit in the first quarter where they start off really fast. Um, and maybe you can say Chicago started slow, but they get out to an early lead. 
Uh, and then we see starting the second quarter, this unit where Reggie Jackson, Jamal Murray, Bruce Brown starts second together. Inexplicably, you know, as much as all those three players are guards and you would think that this would be better, not great ball movement between them. You know, I, I feel like I don't want to say it's poor. I, I, it's hard to say what it is. I mean, is it poor decision making on their part? Are they just being set up to struggle in a certain way? Um, I'm not sure, but one thing I can say is that this particular combination or, or combinations along these lines, I think throughout this week have been somewhat of an albatross on the Nuggets uh, sort of quality of life and how they defend and the kind of looks that they're able to get to and, and just in general. So, I mean, it's kind of our third week with Reggie Jackson. How do you feel like it's going so far? I think that he is still trying to figure out his place. Um, I feel like he's really taken a step back the last few games in terms of not hunting his shot as much, which is okay as long as you're still getting good shots of the offense. And it's really just been a mixed bag. I mean, he's he's had a few shots, but – I think it just takes a while. Like when you're with a bunch of new guys, it can take time to build chemistry. And so I don't know what he's been told from the coaches. Like when he goes in the game, do they say, Hey, you run the show or is it just like whoever gets the ball, you or Jamal figure it out. Like, I mean, okay. Well, I know the coaches aren't saying figure it out, but you get I mean, what, what I'm would saying. You, like, what would you tell him in these scenarios? I mean, I would tell him, Play your game, be aggressive. Try to get downhill, get to the get to the basket, and uh, you know find the find the big of the pick and roll. Um, but you know we saw one interesting thing: Thomas Bryant. He's been up and down, and then today he doesn't play in the game. So I have no idea if that is Malone losing confidence in Thomas Bryant, or if it's just the matchup, the Nets going kind of small, and him thinking, I think Vlaco's the better option here. So good to see Vlaco healthy again. He was obviously mm -hmm. really rusty today because that's another note I had. Like, I, I know you're going to hate, hate this because it's like letting him off the hook, but make or miss league. Vaco had three wide open threes in the first quarter. He bricked all of them. You know, he's been good this year. Uh, he yeah. makes a couple of those nuggets win the game. So, you know, sometimes, you know, it's not screwing up the play at the end of the game. Sometimes it's just you had some open looks and you couldn't knock them down. Brooklyn hit their shots today. They actually remind me a lot of Toronto in that they're like a, a long athletic team, but they got a lot more shooting than Toronto. So everybody's kind of buried them because they don't have a superstar anymore. But to me, they are dangerous enough that they could win a round in the playoffs just because they have the, the cumulative talent, right? If they can all get clicking, they could knock somebody off in the right matchup. Yeah, um, I think it was fair. As far as, I mean, Vladko is concerned, my, my biggest thought about him is just the consistency with which he plays not yeah. in the how he himself is consistent or inconsistent but just the way his role has functioned in denver i feel like for whatever reason he's one of those players that when he uh, so you know for a lot of these games black has been hurt when he comes back into the when he gets back from an injury for whatever reason he's not guaranteed a spot and he, he's the kind of guy who can have a rough quarter or a rough half or something and then just not see the floor again 
not see the floor for some number of games, something like that. Um, so that I will admit perplexes me, but, but to tie back to Thomas Bryant, I think kind of similarly, you know, him not getting, um, not seeing the floor tonight. I don't, I'll say what I see. I don't, I don't know what Malone thinks of this, but I'm losing faith, not in Thomas Bryant, but in Denver's ability to get Thomas the ball. And I feel like it, it the emblematic moment of this for me was in the Bulls game in the second quarter, one play, you know, Jamal and Thomas run a pick and roll and Thomas is open. There's a window. Jamal tries to get him the ball. He throws it behind his back. Uh, unfortunately, the ball, the pass kind of ends up being behind Thomas in such a way that he gets stolen. It's a turnover. Ah, that sucks. Uh, a couple possessions later, Reggie Jackson, similar situation, trying to get Thomas the ball in the pick and roll. They run the pick and roll. It's effective. Thomas has a window. Reggie throws the ball, bounce passes, hits Thomas in the knees, you know, and, and it was so close to each other that it kind of killed their momentum in such a way that I think slowly started to unravel Denver's confidence in each other and their trust in each other. Uh, to the point that I think they go away from the pick and roll, especially when Thomas Bryant is going to game to some extent, just because it's not working and they're just losing faith in the action as a whole. So then you end up kind of in a situation where for Reggie, it's just like, okay, I'm just going to get my shot. And for Jamal, it's like, okay, I'm just going to get my shot. And I think that is, that can work. Those guys can get hot. Reggie Jackson, I think he's a talented guy. He can, you know, score the best of them when he is on. Jamal Murray, I think, of course, is one of the best scorers in the game just in terms of a one-on-one isolation, uh, whatever quality the shot I'm going to hit. You know, we've seen him make so many different kinds of difficult, off-balance, highly contested, well-defended shots. So I don't want to take any of that away from them. But one thing I will say is that I feel like it takes away from the team's ability to feel in rhythm, where then you get a Vlatko who comes into the game and there he's kind of like wondering, well, what am I doing here? You know, how, how do I feel comfortable and consistent? I think for shooters, especially guys coming off the bench, they're wondering, how do I fit into this? How do I look for my opportunities and when are my opportunities going to come? It's hard to know uh, in these sorts of situations when we do get into that sort of like isolation heavy basketball. Um, so yeah. I, I describe it as like a you got it offense. You know, if you've ever been you playing pickup or something and you pass the ball to a guy and you might be open, you might not be open, you might cut, you might do something. But at, this, at the end of the day, you know that they're probably just going to put up the shot. So you kind of just, eh, you got it. And I just saw that a lot in this game, you know, different actions. I mean, uh, Jeff Green, I think especially recognizes he's a veteran. He's been through a lot. He sees, uh, he sees that other players are probably going to shoot this ball. He doesn't run as hard off of his next sort of like off ball screen or thing like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't know why we haven't seen Michael Porter staggered with the second unit yet because to me i think he needs more shots and he's a guy that while he's not elite at creating his own shot he's a guy that doesn't need a whole lot of space so mm-hmm. if it was up to me i would love to see vodko go in early sub 
And I don't really feel like you would miss too much of a beat with the offense because he's just going to make the right play every time playing off Jokic. And then you can bring MPJ back to hopefully help the bench score, um, you know, and, and, and do things that way. It just seems like, you know, he really liked playing with bones and Reggie to me has a similar game as bones, you know, yeah. kind of the, the archetype. Yeah. Herky jerky, good handle, quick shifty, looking for his own shot first, but can pass. And mm-hmm. it seems like that could benefit Mike to play with a guy like that. Yeah, I think so. And then, you know, talking about like a, you got it offense, who would I love to get like seven, you got it shots other than like Michael Porter. I mean, that's just so easy for him. And I think right. he's six ten with a ratchet. I mean, what would, you know, what, what else do we need to say about that? I feel like, uh, especially for someone who isn't the point guard to be doing that. I think that is also helpful just in the way uh, to tie back to like defense and guys being able to get back and having someone who doesn't have to do both things where they have to think about, okay, who's getting the ball right now? What play are we running? How do I set this up? Uh, because that's also something I think Denver struggles with. They take a long time to kind of get into their sets and, and really get the actions started to the point that by the time they do, you know, if it doesn't work, they've only got like seven, eight, nine seconds left. And that's kind of when we see, okay, guess I'll just shoot this ball. Um, but I think for Mike, yeah. you know, you could just kind of get him the ball up court, throw it to him. And maybe he's there in the past break. Maybe he's got a mismatch, whatever it might be. And he can just kind of focus on that. And, and he is pretty, really smart about that. He's been really smart about the, that this week in general of, looking for his opportunities but playing and doing that within the flow of the offense where for the most part he's trying to come off screens he's trying to get into situations that are advantageous for him and leverage his three-point shot to also get to the rim uh and he's getting the rim he's getting to the rim with force actually Good attacking more yeah yeah he's, he's kind of some bodies this week and i think that's been really nice and i'm really impressed with jamal in that way i'm sorry with mike in that way um I think he's been doing a great job and I want to commend him because it's just so he, he's come so far, you know, as a player and, and face so much both from a health perspective, because obviously that's been difficult for him, but also just earning the trust of the team and of Michael Malone and, you know, being a guy who, oh, he would do one thing and then get pulled. Or he make a defensive mistake and get pulled, miss the rebound and get pulled. You know, he hasn't had the leash of a lot of other players of his caliber, his talent caliber coming in the league. I mean, how many guys on Houston are nowhere near as talented as Michael Porter, but feel entitled to take the shots that they do, to uh, not play the defense, to not do the other things that they're, they're supposed to be doing. So I'm really impressed with Michael Porter in the way that he's both rounded out his game and been smart with his own offense. Yeah, it's been it's been fun to watch. Um, the Nuggets just haven't been clicking on all cylinders since the break, and it's like you said, you know, they've sometimes they take a while to get in their offense. It definitely feels like Jamal looks like there's a lot of times when there's like 16 seconds left on the shot clock, and he has a decent shot, and he mm-hmm. passes it up, thinking he's going to get a better one, and he doesn't get a better one. So it's on it's tricky, right? Because it's like on the one hand. The Nuggets know that they can get it to Jokic whenever they want, 
but it's kind of playing with fire because I feel like in the playoffs, the defenses are going to be playing hard the whole possession, right? For the whole game. Yeah. So you can't really turn down those like medium good looks, in my opinion. And he's has had a rough week, just like he's had a lot of in and outs. I, I can't remember more more shots he's had that are halfway down. He's probably had like 10 of them this week. So I don't know if that's legs or focus or just bad luck, but uh, you know, I know we're we're jumping ahead to, you know, I if we want to talk about the Spurs game, we can, but you know, he left the game today with with knee soreness and uh to me that's that's more troubling than than how he's been playing because i know you want to get into that but like mm-hmm. if he's not healthy it doesn't even matter right because it just compounds it like if you're if you're compromised that's when i feel like he puts more pressure on himself to perform well because he doesn't have as many moves available and that's like makes him play worse he goes even harder <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like it's the same thing that uh we love about him is the heart and toughness and willing to play through things but is also right. Uh, a form of like stubbornness and maybe even unhealthiness in certain ways that he approaches the game. Um, can, do you want to know when I knew the um, the Bulls game was over? Just, just so we can kind of move on. Sure. Pat Bev makes a three. <laughs> you oh, know, that's I was right. like, oh, I was like, oh no, I'm done. Let's go. Let's move yeah, on. When when Pat Bev starts talking shit, it's just like, really, we're doing mm-hmm. this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I thought the Bulls game wasn't that concerning. I felt like it was just a dud. I was thinking about it like third quarter and then like fourth quarter when we started making a small run and then the Bulls just kept hitting everything. I was like, you know what? This is just one of those nights in the NBA. We haven't lost to a bad team in a long time. We were kind of due. So that one wasn't that worrying to me. It's the next two games where we, you know, the effort in San Antonio was unacceptable. The effort against Brooklyn was better, but Nuggets just didn't play smart. I thought they turned the ball over too much. And like, I want to credit the Bulls, to some extent, I don't think they're they're a good bad team. Like they yes. have enough talent that they can win a game in, right. in a they way have legit that players. Yeah. Compared to you know, we're going to talk about this uh, Spurs game. Compared to the Spurs, the Spurs aren't even trying to win. They're <laughs> even their fans know <laughs> that they're not trying to win right now, as evidenced by how few players were in the stands for this for this next game. Yeah. Um, all the same, you know, first quarter as Denver often does, they, they start out hot. Um, but, and, and I felt like Jokic was really engaged in this one. I feel like he, you know, I think this might be just a character trait of his. He hates consecutive losses mm-hmm. because I feel like while he might have been coasting a bit more in the, in a, the Bulls game and the Raptors game, I feel like. On this on this night, he really started to engage uh, defensively from um, you know a rebounding perspective, from a scoring perspective, and and the one thing I would say is that worries me is just that I feel like we ask so much of him right now of of if, of any oh, yeah. of the players in Denver who I feel like are taxed with more than their fair share. You know, when guards are letting guys into the paint, he's got to clean it up when um, people can't get him the ball and, and we don't really have reliable playmaking for whatever reason, he's bringing the ball up. When uh, the Wendever Nuggets, when they can't hit a shot, Jokic is asked to be like, hey, can you, can you put up 40, 45 for us? That would be nice. Um, and, he, and he steps up like consistently. He's, he wants to win and, and whatever the team is needing from him, he's going to do. So, you know, and, and obviously he still has to fulfill his, his duties as a center you know, from a rebounding perspective. And I think that all those things combined, I think are really difficult for him. And it makes me miss, 
I'm not saying that I like Mason Plumley as a basketball player. I don't. I don't like players who are complete non-shooters. But one of the things that I missed about Plumley is that Plumley took a lot of the physical demand off of Jokic, where he was a little bit freer to be a scorer, to be a playmaker, to do those things. And Jokic and and Plumley could get the rebounds, and Plumley could you know get that secondary that rim protecting help and do those sorts of things that kind of uh, he, he, he had a goon who was going to take care of that for him. And uh, I, I think that's a little bit less true now, especially, you know, we, we haven't really seen this, but you know, Thomas Bryant is not a guy who Malone is willing to play with. I mean, sometimes play at all, but certainly not play with Jokic. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. I was like, I wonder if we'll ever get to see those two play together. Um, Thomas I would Bryant, be curious. You know, he plays hard. He's a good athlete. He's physical, but he doesn't have quite the same IQ that, that Plumley had. I think that Plumley was a very good player when he was here. You know, the guy always plays hard. You never questioned it. He would mm-hmm. do some clumsy things every game, but, you know, you're a backup for a reason. I think he, he always did an adequate job for a backup. Um, you know, the Nuggets have kind of struggled to fill that role ever since. But, yeah, the Spurs game was weird because Jokic was definitely – uh, you know, aggressive offensively, but defensively, he just didn't really have much interest in in defending anything at the rim and yeah. drop. So I don't know. It, it's a bummer, but it's also like it's the regular season. And like, do I blame him for that? I guess is my point. All that you know, the, you know, all that is to say, do I blame him for not always being the most engaged defensively? I can't. I honestly don't. Do I do I blame him for always feeling like? You know, there are going to be nights where, like, he wants to, he sees that we're up five, up ten. He's like, okay, I don't need to shoot right now. I, I, I honestly don't blame him just because we ask so much of him that I think it's only fair and necessary for him, you know, thinking about the season not just in one game but in 82 games and playoffs yeah. as something that he has to coast uh, – sorry um, – manage himself through with the minute totals that he plays and the amount of work he has to do. And, and I think it's important to remember that it's okay as fans to be frustrated right now, but we just have to remember the big picture. And, and the big picture is if these guys, if it's going to cost the Nuggets a few wins in the regular season to be fresher for the playoffs, we make that trade a hundred times out of a hundred, right? Like the, we don't actually want to be going balls to the wall right now. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the Nuggets, you know, despite all these losses this week, even are still like four or five games up on the second seed. Uh, Memphis right. Grizzlies. The sky is not falling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the sky is falling for Denver, what is happening in Memphis? I yeah. mean, that has to be Armageddon. If, if that, if if this is, if this this right now, this year is the sky falling. So, yeah, I, I, I guess do... Stephen Adams is out until the playoffs now. Yeah, yeah, and so not having job, having some of the losses that they've had in terms of personnel, I think it's it's tough, and, and just in their um, their team dynamic, just in the relationships that you feel like might be fraying. I, I think that's a lot more serious for me yeah. than it might be for um, than whatever Denver is struggling with. Where it's uh, to me, all the things that I would talk about today that I'm critical of for Denver, I think are on some level solvable. Um, hey, I got I got one random thing I wanted to ask you before we move on to the most recent game. Mm-hmm. Doug McDermott was on fire for the Spurs. I've always yeah. liked his game. He's like a guy. He's a really good shooter, and he he moves off the ball a lot. Would yes. you want him on the Nuggets? Here's the thing. Yes, but like, what would I give up to get him on the Nuggets? Not a lot. You, you know what I trade mean? Zeke. Uh, okay, only because Zeke's barely here, but also. 
Zeke's fairly here, in my opinion, because he is asked to do things that he shouldn't be being asked to do. Mm. Uh, and I, I think I do value Zeke's defense. And I think in a playoff setting, Zeke is also a great shooter. And I might value his defense and shooting more than I do Doug's shooting. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is Doug did a great job defensively on Michael Porter for the most part, yeah. in my opinion, because he is a shooter. And he recognizes that in Mike and kind of understands the ways right. in which a shooter wants to be comfortable. And I think, you know, credit it's to like Doug. like a mirror in a way, right? Like, you know what you're guarding because you do you know all the tricks yourself. Exactly. It's like, um, I'm going to make a video game comparison. I know, Peter, you don't, you probably don't do this, but if you play Smash, Super Smash Brothers, and you main the same character as somebody else, you already know all their moves. You know, you mm -hmm. know their moveset, you know where they're comfortable, you know where they're uncomfortable. And I think um, Doug McDermott, you know, did a great job. I want to commend him for that. The last thing I will say about the, the actually two things. I think we got to talk about Mike catching a body and Zach Collins. I feel oh, like yeah, left-handed, too. That was awesome. I don't want to swear, but I am so, like, my heart is just, like, full for him in the way that Zach Collins uh, looks like the next villain in the whatever the latest chapter of the uh, Karate Kid remake is. I just feel like he has that aesthetic to him. <laughs> well, and I, I'm pleased that that we offended him deeply and I, i'm ray the the surprising thing about the play to me wasn't the dunk it was the stare down and the shit talking afterwards i didn't know that mike had that in him usually he's like hitting a three and smiling and you know high-fiving his teammates it's rare to see him like yelling in the face of an opponent and that that gives me a lot of confidence going in you know just for his long-term uh resiliency as a player i mean he is just yeah. like a mentally tough dude in yes. all these little contexts. And we have so many questions about him coming into the league that, in my opinion, he's answered like time and time and again, whether it's like, can you come back from a deep injury? Can you come back from a deep injury again? Can you deal with, uh, I'm going to be frank, a lot of the BS that comes with navigating playing time under in certain locker rooms and, and, and that, that sort of thing. And can you, uh, not get punked by anybody, you know, who's in front of you. I think that's that's awesome. And I think Aaron Gordon has also kind of been through that. And I, I have this similar faith in him that he can step up in those ways. So you think about that as a front court. I mean, I think I have no questions about about Denver's front court talent and sort of how they project going forward in the playoffs in terms of just like they match up with anybody, in my opinion, and, and can go blow for blow. Even, you know, Kevin Durant. I'm, I mean, Kevin Durant is great. Am I worried though that they can't match him? I mean, not that much. Like, especially collectively, having those two together. Um, can I yeah, can I shout out Zeke for for a shirt? Uh oh. Oh no, he just had a cool shirt. I thought it was he has a shirt that says like uh, the anti-social social club. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was neat, uh, and and I just feel like. What I actually would say I took away from this game is that Denver settles a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, they they settle for threes. <laughs> they settle for a lot of floaters. They settle for a lot of mid-range shots. They settle for a lot of isolation. And so this is one of those things that I think is very fixable for them uh, once the playoffs do, for, do start, is that if they can just stay aggressive, stay attacking, 
can they play together and play for each other when the game is really serious and they have expectations for themselves that they need to win these games. It, it's very fixable, you know, it's just a, a way of approaching the game. And uh, I did not like how they approached this Spurs game, but no. it's all stuff that like you can look at in a film session and point out and, and they can all say, okay, we can do better in this context. Yeah. And one last thing um, we have to mention Early in the first quarter here, Jamal Murray comes up left wing, drills a three-pointer, becomes the Nuggets' all-time franchise leader in three-pointers made. Pretty cool stat. Obviously, we're in like a new era now. You know, he's only been here, I think, seven seasons. So mm-hmm. not super-duper long, but not not short either. Not, a, not an insignificant record, a record that he'll probably extend for, for quite some time. And uh, pretty cool. It is cool. And for me – it's a marker of just how long we've been like in this um, sort era. of generation. Yeah. This yeah. era. And so I feel like it, it almost marks like a, a transition of adulthood. Not, not, you know, these are all adults. These are all grown men playing basketball, but in the terms of an NBA career that they're not, these are not like the, the spring chickens, the, the like immature young guys, uh, that were throwing pieces of candy at people, even though Jamal still throws candy at people, um, on, you know, opening day back in 20, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, those years. So I, you know, look well, forward well, yeah, to... Yeah, I mean, Ray, what's a, what's a bummer is, um, I was just thinking about this the other day. I was like, damn, Jokic is, is 28 years old. Like, that's mm-hmm. not old, but it's not young either. He's like, he's right. in his prime now. And I was like, man, we can't take this guy for granted because he's like, most likely that. he's already paid, played half his career, you know, if not over his half. And, and uh, I'm 28 years old. <laughs> yeah. And I feel well, that too. I'm like, my knees, they don't always work. The other part of that is, you know, when, when teams are young and upcoming, that's when everybody thinks it's fun. I'm talking about mm-hmm. like even the national media, they're like, oh, this, this Nuggets team, they got some nice young players. They're up and coming and they're fun. Everybody right. seemed to like like us in the bubble. The next year was like supposed to be another step forward. And then we have the injuries and it's like people almost kind of forgot about us. And now that we're back, it's like now we're getting hated on. <laughs> well, it's it's I don't think it's easy. It's, it's hard to understate how long of a gap that was just in terms of, you know, the bubble was uh, 20. All those years run together for me. I think for a lot of people, I think that's yeah, it was 2020. So, you know, that's that's basically two years ago. And I think it, for a lot of people, a lot of like NBA fans at large, when you talk about like, oh, they made the conference finals two years ago, like, OK, what have you done since then? Like, what have you done for me lately? And yeah. as much as the Nuggets are confident and secure on themselves and believe in themselves and that sort of thing, I also think it's a it's a it's an important thing to recognize that they haven't done that much in the nba and that uh a conference champion you know a conference appearance a couple years ago that's cool but there is so much more to do and so much more uh to accomplish for denver even though they're no longer especially like that they aren't these like young players who you know i think when you're we have a young team you feel like oh we've got forever to to work it out and fix things and make that's what i used to think 
it's not really the case for me anymore. At least that's how I of how I view it. That Denver has infinite amounts of time to yeah. to, to make these changes. I mean, they need to really like mature and grow up and be the best versions of themselves in every way that they can be, because I think that's just what it takes to win a championship. I mean, they can pray and and hope for good matchups and that sort of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, being a champion in the NBA is about being the best team in the NBA. Um, Regardless of who is in front of you that, that, you know, you're the best team in the NBA or you want to be. I mean, that was, that was my whole thinking three years ago. I'm like, wow, Jokic is, 25 murray's 23 porter's 21 and we made the conference finals like this next decade is shaping up sweet you know and then jamal (laughs) you know six game and nine nights at golden state going hard for that comeback in the fourth quarter knee was like "Uh uh-uh jamal this is that's you've had enough (laughs) yeah i mean but luckily we saying is time was all good right um sometimes sometimes but uh, no, you you actually reminded me of one really important thing about not the Spurs game specifically, but something that happened on the broadcast in the Spurs game that I really wanted to make sure I remember to talk about on the pod today. So yeah. I don't know if you got this, but uh, it was either Vic or Scott Hastings went and actually interviewed David Robinson in the middle of the game. I saw that, yeah. And they asked him, you know, just general thoughts. Like, what do you think about the Nuggets? Does this team have what it takes? And I thought his, I thought what he had to say was absolutely fascinating because he said, and I'm not going to get this right verbatim, but the gist of what he said was, I do believe the Nuggets have the talent to win four playoff series this season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they believe that. And that really threw me off because I was like, wow, he sees a team that has the talent, but they, he doesn't see it in their eyes that they have what it takes and that was so fascinating to me because we all i think most of us think that Jokic and jamal are made of the right stuff aaron gordon's bought in you know mpj great shooter kcp is obviously already won but this group it's true they haven't gotten over the hump yet or won anything so that's they're going to be tested at some point and it's going to be fascinating to see like when shit hits the fan, when things get really tough, like who's going to be in that foxhole? Who's going to be ready? And uh, it's going to be fun to watch, but also agonizing, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I did have some thoughts about what his what he said both about the team and about uh, the comparison between Jokic and Tim Duncan. I thought was also pretty interesting. Sure. Uh, I, I do want to take a break real quick, and then on the other side, I will uh, we'll get we'll give those thoughts, and we'll kind of close out the show. And we are back. So uh, just to kind of reiterate, so what was mentioned was that Tim Duncan and Nikola Jokic don't have that much in common. And I wanted to explore that idea just in general, because I think there is a context where that is somewhat true, somewhat not true. And I don't know, Peter, I'm curious what you think of this. I think I'll start with like how they are similar. And I think it's in sort of their personalities. And I think that's a lot of what people think of when they, when they talk about those two players is the sort of quiet demeanor, uh, the humility to some extent, the like sort of, I think they're both confident people, you know, they're very comfortable in themselves and how they approach the game. And, you can listen to stories uh, for both players about how other NBA players 
have and do try to rattle them, both uh, Duncan and Jokic, and how that is totally just not something that they are interested in uh, responding to or engaging with beyond even just kind of like making fun of it. <laughs> that uh, so so I feel like in this particular way they are actually similar. Do, do you do you agree? Yeah, I, I think one thing that's interesting about Tim Duncan is so many people from the outside always said, oh, he's boring. But like everything his teammates and coaches have ever said about him is that the guy's actually hilarious, like behind closed doors and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think Tim Duncan is just a guy that was kind of a private guy, didn't really want to talk to the media a whole lot. But, you know, he was still had a great personality with his teammates and everything. And Jokic is, strikes us as the same way, right? I mean, he's always making jokes and stuff like that he's just not super out there self-promoting or anything like that and on some level i, I also feel like uh, did he not want to talk to the media does the media not want to talk to him in, in both cases that i think they're um not the favorite just because of the reactions that they get from the players that that the media likes a certain kind of guy and i, I think neither of those neither tim duncan nor nicola are the type of person that the media is just thirsting and itching to get especially national media, you know, especially those kinds of figures are, are really eager to get sound bites from. Well, it's always interesting, like who the go-to quotes are for teams, because yeah, you want to talk to the, the best players the most, but every mm -hmm. once in a while you'll have like a random role player. Who's like a great sound bite. I mean, remember how, the, remember how the media fell in love with Austin rivers. Like he had yeah. all this profound stuff to say and, now that he's gone, I don't really know who that guy is. I don't really know who the, the Nuggets media loves. And because he's interesting, because he's had a career, he's had a career that's been so I'm talking about Austin Rivers now, is that from his high school mixtape days to you know being at the sort of the the peak of prominence in people's minds and how people think of you know the up-and-coming players in the league to being on a championship teams in, in Los Angeles and and uh, I believe Houston. I think he was also there. Uh, but and he loves to talk. He loves to talk. He's got his own podcast now. <laughs> he is a good. He's a good conversationalist on mic, and I think a lot of media members really appreciate the way that he is candid with them, uh, just about a variety of different topics. And I think that makes for someone who they want to come back to. That he's going to be reliable. That you're not going to get. I'm going to make a comparison. Jamal. I feel like Jamal can sometimes be based on what I've heard. Uh, the things that get said that get said publicly about Jamal and how he treats media sometimes not always with the most seriousness. <laughs> right. And that's can be, I'm sure for them somewhat frustrating and you might not want to be super eager to go to him for, for yeah. like, Oh, I need a soundbite for this like article or what have you. So Austin well, rivers, super yeah. local guy. I, I think the thing that people liked about rivers is, He's a guy that was able to get over himself, right? We we mm -hmm. talk about that in the NBA a lot. How He's everybody's going to have that breaking point of like, are you going to be able to change your ways and conform and stay in the league, or are you going to flush out and just get forgotten about? Like so many guys, and you know he's he's been honest about that and how it's, he struggled and how he had to learn new things and and try new ways. Um, but I always like listening to his opinion on things because. Whether I agree or disagree, I know that he's always giving a genuine opinion. He's never a guy that's like just giving you a cliche answer, like, oh, is this what I'm supposed to say? 
Like, cause he, cause he's one of those guys that's been around the NBA his whole life. Right. You know, his dad played yeah. and coached for forever. So Austin river is like, he knows the game a lot better than some people because he's been in this life so long. Yeah. And not just the game, but even the business of it in the way that, I mean, he was, he was traded by his father, <laughs> you know, that's, that's some, like, that's some real life stuff that that's, that's, you've been through some things. Uh, but, but to tie it back into, I think Tim and Nicola, I, I think they both are these guys who they're going to give you kind of simple answers. They're not going to say too much. You know, I, I think they want to, they are honest. I don't think they're dishonest I, and I don't think they're approaching it disingenuously, but I also don't feel like they're the most loquacious people in that way, especially when talking to media. So I, I don't know if they've always flocked to them as, you know, as much as they haven't flocked to the media, the media hasn't flocked to them. And you know, just in terms of like trying to get bites from them. So to talk about their level of, you know, how they are as players, I think, you know, Robinson um, really pointed out how they're very different. They're not that actually that similar. I think that was his main point. And I actually kind of agree in that while they are very similar from a personality standpoint, they both play center in the NBA. Uh, they're both are probably Hall of Fame players. Their skill sets, and I think some of this is driven just by the way that they exist in different times in the league, but I think are just very different. You know, T Duncan kind of came into the league at a time where he wasn't even, he wasn't even, think about this, they both kind of came into the league as power forwards, where Jokic transitioned into something that is, he almost became more perimeter. He got more access to the perimeter than I think Duncan ever did. And I think Duncan kind of existed in his career in a space where he was a lot more traditional in how teams approach team building and the fundamental skill sets that they were just allowed to do and, and, and be functional within and that sort of thing. So I, um, the, the, when I talk about, and I think about players, what is this? And I think about natural positions, everybody has a different, I think, definition of that. But for me, the thing I look at the most as far as like, what is this player's natural position is like their skill set and their approach to the game. And where I feel like I looked up to Tim Duncan, he was always so fundamental in being an NBA big man, like from the jump is, is his footwork is his rebounding is his rim protection consistency with the way he played in a way that wasn't, you know, a lot of guys come into basketball wanting to hunt for blocks and things like that, where I feel like he was, uh, he's a great teacher of, if you want to learn how to play the game defensively from a grounded perspective, from a defensive quarterbacking perspective, you got to look at, you know, Tim Duncan is one of those guys that you really should look at. Jokic, while he is seven feet tall and while he is a big man in the NBA, I feel like in his spirit, in his person, like deep down who he is, he's a point guard. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's, he's more like Magic Johnson in that way is that like, yeah, his body is this one thing, but his mind, his heart, where what he mm -hmm. wants to do and be in the league is that he wants to be this like facilitator and uh, more of a utility player in that way and pick his own spots, of course. But I think that's just kind of where his heart is. And I think those two things are very different in, in just in how they approach the game.
So you're saying if Jokic were only 6'5", he would have been what we all wanted Ricky Rubio to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's tough. How, how about this? If he were 6'5", he would still be Andre Miller. You know? <laughs> I, I feel like those those two players, to me, I think align a lot more in terms of the spirit of who they are as players, I think, than, than Duncan and, and Jokic. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. So I thought that was cool, though. I thought it was a great point. I'm really happy that we got that opportunity to, to get the perspective uh, of a great player like that on, you know, out the guys that we care about and that we hope are well, going to be great players. And to be fair and to clarify, David Robinson was not trying to minimize Jokic at all. He no, was basically just so. saying they're both great in completely different ways. You know, he was yeah. saying, like, I don't really see the comparison, but Jokic is like nothing we've ever seen before. You know, he was also mm-hmm. kind of saying, like, he really appreciated Jokic's game, too. He just didn't think they were very similar players. I respect, right. the, I respect the analysis. Same. Uh, so to kind of tie into what his comments were about the Nuggets – one of the things that he questioned was how much the this Denver Nuggets team actually believes in themselves to win the championship and to get to that point. And I'll be honest, if you look at this week of basketball, yeah. <laughs> it's understandable, especially like what's been happening recently. And I think it's in this particular way. There are a number of things that we've talked about that are easily solvable, that are effort things, you know? Are you going to get back on defense for when when you get long rebounds and long threes and that sort of thing when you turn the ball over whatever, you know I think they could do a lot better job of that. Are you going to be sharper on your defensive rotations? They could do a lot better job of that. Are you going to box out more? Are you going to work for better shots? And is where I kind of start to get into this is if you had to give it like a percentage, you know, me I, I think back to like the 2013 Nuggets. That team wasn't very talented, but I had full faith in their belief in each other as a team because I would give their like chemistry, quote unquote, rating like 100, 110%. Like they were so in tune with each other yeah. that whole year in how they were always connected, always trusting each other, always working together for the best shots that they could and to the point that they were literally unguardable. Right. Well, because that team really didn't have a go-to guy. You know, the best be. player was probably Iguodala. Gallinari was the leading scorer. Lawson, it was debatable. Know, broke everybody down. Like, yeah. Well, Lawson was probably the best offensive player, but Iguodala was like the glue to the defense. And then you had Fareed running down the middle. So And, and you had Wilson Chandler. You had all these guys. Yeah, that was a really deep team that just unfortunately didn't get to the playoffs healthy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> might not have mattered anyway, but yeah, I wanted that was to see like, it. We all wanted that to was see a really it. fun regular season, and uh, yeah, they just so wore to, you down physically. To compare to this team, though, looking at this week of basketball, I don't feel that level of connectivity, uh, that level of trust, and I don't want to be mean, but I don't see. Denver has intelligent players in terms of like basketball IQ and that sort of thing. I'm thinking about Jokic. I'm thinking about Aaron Gordon. I'm thinking about Michael Porter. I think about KCP. 
I think those guys all very smart. I think about Vladko, uh, Bruce Brown in some, you know, in some contexts, uh, Christian Brown, of course, you know, veteran guy. I also see a lot of players. I see a lot of just like, uh, not players who aren't exhibiting that level of trust aren't exhibiting that layer, that level of buy-in to the offense and playing for each other. And I think that, that I'm curious what you think of this, that to me is what I see and hear when David Robinson talks about, I don't know if they believe in each other to win a championship, or I don't know if they believe in themselves to win a championship. I think that's fair because I think that whenever time gets get tough or in a close game, when they get flustered, it's like they just give the ball to Jokic and, and hope that, you know, he's going to save them. And mm-hmm. it's very like Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers ask, right? It's like, or LeBron. we have, we have the best quarterback, you know, he's going to win the game for us, but it takes a team to win. And so the nuggets, you know, I like the pieces. I like the role players. I like the star players. And in the playoffs, it's just it's it's always so close, man. It comes down to a few plays here or there. You know, mm-hmm. our role players get to hit threes. Are they, are they going to make the tough shots? You know, I mean, it's so interesting when you when you talk to teams after the season about what went wrong or where the, they can improve. You know, I always think about the, you know, the Sixers have talked about like they need more tough guys. And then what do they do? They go out and they add PJ Tucker. So he's helped them to an extent. We'll see if that makes a difference for them in the playoffs. I don't know if this Nuggets team has P- has a PJ Tucker. You know, I, I think we kind of hope it's going to be Aaron Gordon. Um, it's definitely not going to be Jeff Green. Um, you know, because there's going to be a team at some point, whether they're more talented than us or not, that's just going to try to beat the Nuggets up. You know, probably Memphis if we run into them. I actually feel not too bad in that context. I like Thomas Bryant a lot. In that sense, okay. I, he's not seeing the floor right now, and I'm, I'll acknowledge that. But he's a guy for me, whether he's playing badly or playing well, he's always been like fighting consistently. Yes. You know, he, he is and in I, the mix for rebounds. I have noticed that he's gotten some, mm-hmm. he's gotten on offensive glass a little bit. If there's a fight that breaks out on the court, <laughs> I think Thomas Bryant is going to be, I'm not saying he's going to cause the fight or, or do something untoward, but I think who is going to have their teammates back. I think of him. I, I, of course, I think of Aaron Gordon. And honestly, you know, based on this week, I kind of think of Michael Porter a little bit. Uh, I'm starting to put him in that category as a guy who might have that level of toughness that he's going to compete. Maybe he's not going to do it in the way that, you know, Steven Adams is a big physical dude. He's not pushing over Steven Adams, but I think he's going to like come back at people in a way that I think gives me a lot of faith for this playoff run. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think like the big difference right now to me between MPJ and Jamal is we were always looking for at the beginning of the season, like when are they going to be back? And MPJ in the last few weeks, he's shown a fearlessness that I have not really seen out of him before. Right. The, mm-hmm. f- the first half of the season, he was very cautious, you know, getting his flow, getting in the rhythm, getting shots up. But now he's 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 uh he's getting his shots, but he's also attacking. And Jamal, you know, he's still shooting. I don't think Jamal is playing without confidence, but I don't think he's attacking quite as peak Jamal yet. So 
hopefully he can get enough rest and get his knee right and get to that point because I'm just not seeing the full version of Jamal Murray that we've seen in the past. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about him. I think about Reggie Jackson also. Uh, I think about Bruce Brown sometimes in, in the way that those three guys for me aren't always engaging uh, with contact. A lot of the times they're the way they kind of are trying to find their shots are by going away from contact, whether it's Bruce Brown's floaters or Jamal's, uh, you know, fadeaways in the post or Reggie Jackson's just finding, trying to find open space first and foremost. And I think that that can be valuable. That can be great, especially in tough moments where you really need an opportunity to get, you know, two points or three points or whatever it might be. But I think also when it comes to that level of physicality and competition and who is dominating a game from that perspective, I mean, I think you you still need guys who are going to be willing to not just attack but in, in, and be confident, but embrace contact and, and challenge other defenses because that's how you're going to draw fouls. That's how you're going to win over referees. I think in this Nets-Nuggets game, you know, I think there are a lot of issues with how the game was refereed, and I think a lot of that was driven by the way that Denver, for the most part, and in a lot of ways and cases, isn't really willing to embrace contact in the way that the Nets very much were. They were very much at every different instance um, being physical, boxing out hard, defending with like a, a sort of – you know, high, getting physical with Jokic in all these sorts of ways. So I think that's frustrating. It's, and if you are the other team, you're not going to be rewarded unless you do like really go at them and you do really like lean into the contact and embrace that and try to not worry about, oh, is my shot going to get blocked or this, that, or the third? Yeah, I thought the Nets did a good job being physical. I also thought they did something interesting that we haven't really seen this season. And if I can give a glass half full take about this week, as bad as it's been, the Nets were kind of doubling Jokic before mm-hmm. he even had the basketball. And yes. so I felt like the the biggest detriment to losing this game was not the defense. It was the turnovers, right? The turnovers are what led to the Nets getting more chances. And so mm-hmm. the Nets shot well. The Nuggets, both teams had cold stretches in this game, which is really weird because both teams scored over 120 points. But if you score 120 points, that should be good enough to win. I think that's like Hastings' big stat, right? The Nuggets were like undefeated when they score at least 120. Well, that streak came to an end tonight because the Nuggets just kept throwing the ball over the yard. So this is a problem we haven't really seen out of this version of the Nuggets that they have trouble getting Jokic the ball. Um, so that's something troubling that they're going to need to work on. But at least they have this tape now to be like, oh, if this is something teams are going to do, we need to be able to counteract this because guess what? A lot of teams are going to look at this tape and go, oh, that kind of worked. I mean, yeah, the Nuggets still scored 120. Like, let's not act like they shut us down or anything like that. Right. But if you can force the Nuggets to turn the ball over, you got a chance to win. Because you're going to get a lot of opportunities from that. And sometimes right. it's not even like explicit turnovers that I would see. It's forcing Denver to take bad shots or Denver electing to take bad shots. But sometimes it's forcing Denver to take bad shots. Um, of course, it's also turnovers. It's also second chance points. I feel like uh, the Nets killed Denver or Denver killed themselves 
in terms of second chance opportunities to the other team. So I, I think these are some things that, that Denver can definitely look at the film, you know, and work on those things. It's weird that that's the case, that ball control is an issue when they're playing these three guard lineups. You would think mm. naturally that if you're going to play with three guards, you would have more ball control than normal. But uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think of this. I feel like Denver's most responsible ball handlers are not their guards. It's obviously Jokic is number one for me. Um, I would say Aaron Gordon is probably number two. I think that's a big part of why he works with that bench unit is that he provides that in a way that a lot of, you know, Rich Jackson doesn't provide that. Uh, I think about Michael Porter in the way that he plays a really smart game in terms of cutting off ball and even was making efforts to get Jokic the ball in this game. Um, and I think about KCP, honestly, as a guy who very few players um, on this Nuggets team do I notice do specific things that make it easier to get Jokic the ball. One of them is thinking about the angle of entry. You know, I'm sure you're kind of familiar with this, where if you try to get a, a big of a ball from like the elbow, for example, it can be kind of tough because there's a lot more opportunity to get that ball thrown away. So KCP is one of the few guys in on this team who will take his time to go out to the wing or even further towards the corner to kind of make that entry pass. And I, I see him do a lot of those sorts of things. I see him protect the ball pretty well. He keeps his game pretty simple. You don't see him do, you know, flashy right. passes or unnecessary things like that. You know, he Almost keeps never. it simple. And, and I really appreciate him for that. And I feel like that's like the thing. <laughs> those are the things that I hope that they work on down the stretch that they could just make better decisions with the ball. And, and I think that would help them a lot in terms of punishing teams for going this small in terms of punishing teams for over helping on Jokic and sort of um, because I think otherwise, you know, you can, you can press Denver's perimeter players and sort of harass them into just being uncomfortable and kind of struggling. Maybe they get into their sets a little bit later and that sort of thing. Um, so well, I hope they go bigger also to, make, yeah. to to get to my final point is that they can move away from the three guard lineups and maybe, maybe you don't go, can I, can I fingers crossed? Can I get Mike at the Mike at the two? Ooh. Would that be crazy? Am I crazy? They, they played Jeff at the two sometimes last year, didn't they? They have in moment. Well, I think in the bubble in particular, they did a lot more of that because they had like very few guards. I don't guards think Jeff was on the team in the bubble, but he, he wasn't, but they were doing a lot more experimentation. Yeah. Great. Like two times. That's right. Yeah, Jeremy Grant at the two with Bull Bull at the three, that sort of thing. Um, in this game in particular, Christian Brown, I thought, had a great impact mm -hmm. in the minutes and the stretches that he played in. I would love to see him get more opportunities as a two rather than a three. Not that he wasn't good, yeah. but I think when you, when you, if, if Christian Brown can only play small forward, well, we saw what happened tonight. You have to take Michael Porter off the floor just to yeah. get Bruce Brown on the floor or Casey, like one of those two Casey Peepers Brown on the floor. And to me, that just makes no sense. You know, Mike has done so much, done so well, sacrificed so much, been so mature, handled so much to bench him in this context. And then to lose the game, I think is just really painful. And it's going to, I'm not going to sleep well <laughs> if I'm being it honest. It was very strange how the game played out, right? Because Jamal 
you know, leaves, you know, not like specifically injured on a play that I saw, but was grabbing his leg and they, you know, he didn't come back. So I thought Christian Brown was coming in to take those minutes. But then, yeah, Bruce Brown just stayed in the game too for MPJ. Uh, I mean, the Nuggets almost come back, come back. So I, uh, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a problem with it, but I w- I, it was I also did. weird because they asked they asked Malone after the game, and he was like, "Everybody played bad in the third quarter." So, I mean, so why is he being singled out in that way? I don't know. I didn't understand it. Mike was still up on the bench cheering on his teammates. You know, of I think course. he's proven that he's a good teammate. He's not like a me first guy, right? Um, but back to the uh, the passing issue, though. One thing I noticed. I kind of felt like they were overpassing in the first half. Like there were some fast breaks where, you know, maybe they didn't have a great angle, but then they would pull it out. And then instead of take that three, they would like pass to the next guy cutting and they, they turn it over a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one thing that's like, it's, this is like a very nuanced weakness, but the nuggets aren't great at running the fast break. I mean, we've seen this for a while, but I just feel like KCP and Bruce Brown, both they're the guy, these guys that only have one speed. So if it's a one on zero, yeah, we're confident that they're going to dunk it. But when there's a guy like right with them, it's like 50-50 on whether they're going to finish. And they just don't have the ability to like slow down or or have like a, a different type of – yeah, be patient. Like the, the guy that you're most confident on the break, if he gets the ball, is Aaron Gordon, right? Like he's mostly going to be bigger than somebody and say, get out of my way. And most people are going to make a business decision unless your name's Landry Shamit. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah yeah it's 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 a bummer when you blow those layups the one guy that i think is actually pretty good at is jamal because he's usually driving under control so mm-hmm. he'll either do the like the jump stop pump fake the guy flies by you or he might be able to like get a reverse or you know get a shot up to where he can then get the rebound he it's rare that he like goes flying out of bounds and you know hopes the layup goes in so yeah he's his general pace is slower so yeah, and it's yeah. just the league is just different now because you know I'm only 34, but it's still weird to me like how guys will just stop at the three point line on a fast break and pull up. There was a couple that KCP had today. Mm-hmm. He he just wasn't hitting today. You know, oftentimes he makes those shots, so I'm still confident in him going forward. But the the NBA just has so many more runs these days because there's less attack on the basket and more. Let's get the open three. Yeah, or I well, I think part of that is kind of the alternative. In a lot of these situations, one example or the big example I would say is the last possession that Denver had uh, is that we're looking at a Bruce Brown, Nicole Jokic pick and roll. Bruce kind of gets into the lane and rather than having that level of patience, he kind of puts up a floater and it doesn't really go in and it's just a low percentage shot. It's not very efficient. Bruce doesn't draw fouls on those shots because he's not embracing contact. And you, I think in a lot of cases, people would settle for a three instead of that. Uh, not Sorry, I say it's last. I mean second to last. But I, I think it was one of the pivotal, you know, moments in the game. And, you know, for me, I'm okay with the three. Is But if they could cut out those sorts of low efficiency shots, I, I would appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm overall uh, a bad week, not too concerned though, because you know what? I actually feel like the difference between this team being a good team and a great team is I feel like it's 
when Aaron Gordon is is fully engaged and playing really hard. Because when that guy is playing hard, there's just not a lot of players that can that can knock him off his spot, right? Mm-hmm. And I just think he's been kind of coasting since the break, and I'm fine with that. But the Nuggets just aren't going to beat every team if Aaron Gordon is just a an okay player, you know. Yeah. One of the reasons we're in first place is because Aaron Gordon was playing like an all-star in the first 50 games of the season. You know, I predicted him to be good this year. He's bought in. He's been really good. And, you know, he hasn't been bad lately. He just hasn't been what he has been. So hopefully his shoulders can get right and he can become that aggressive AG that we're used to because him and Jokic have that beautiful, you know, big to big pass game. And if he's if he's opening things up by getting easy dunks down low, that's going to get KCP and MPJ and even Jamal those open shots off the kickout. Yeah, and how do you guard that? Like if you're putting your best big on Jokic, you're putting your best perimeter defender on Jamal. I mean, you're putting your second best perimeter defender on Mike. I mean, what do you do with Aaron Gordon? It's really tough. Right. So I'm right, optimistic. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I trust I trust KCP, but you want him taking more of the like dagger threes when you're up six to like make the other team call a timeout than you are like the we really need to hit this three. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a I think it's not totally reasonable to ask guys like KCP, guys like Bruce Brown, uh, even Reggie Jackson to some extent to be heroes for us. Yeah, so. and I mean, if it's if it's earlier in the game, it's not really a dagger; it's more of like a a gravy three. Hmm. Yeah, it's a vibes three. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I'm optimistic that they can make a lot of these different adjustments, and a lot of it is just better choices from Malone, from the players, that sort of thing. So, um, hopefully, next week is better than this, and I have more fun watching the games, and I have better notes. <laughs> They're just more positive. Uh, so, yeah, we we definitely appreciate you listening, and if you made it this far, you're definitely one of our favorite people in the world. We appreciate you. You can find me online at Rave on Hacks, or you can find Peter at Buckets and Sadie, and you can find the pod at Four Quarter Pod online. We will talk to you next week, and as always, go nuts. <laughs>